Um, this is just a wonderful booklet to, to you know, it's a Bible study. It is very easy to understand, I think. Very helpful if you're curious about things of God. Um, so let's just dive in. We started getting going here last time about what does God say about going to heaven uh, here in Lesson 2. Uh, who needs a pen? Do you need a pen? What I'm hoping you can do, and we can um, fill these out in our Bible study, which is fine, but if you have this book with you, if you do it ahead of time, it really is helpful. It helps you think through uh, these things uh, ahead of time. I'm going to read this very beginning part here. Oh, oh, the myth was, uh, the myth that people think is what? I could never know for sure I'll go to heaven. How do, you, how do you hear people talk about this? Well, I hear them say this. I say, do you know, if you died tonight, do you know for sure that you would spend time with, you, did you would be in heaven or do, might you go to hell? Do you know what would happen to you after you died? People say, well, I, ho- I hope I'll go to heaven. They say something like that. Okay. Why don't, why don't you know? Well, I mean, like, I don't know if I've been good enough, or I don't know if God would let me into heaven. Okay, so what you're saying is you're not sure, or you can't really know for sure whether or not you go to heaven. Uh, a lot of people think that way. But the truth is, if you look at what the Bible says, the Bible actually, uh, God has told you very clearly in the Bible that you can be sure you will go to heaven when you die. You can know for certain. We started into this a little bit last week, but we did not finish it all. So let's look at question number one. Uh, who can read First John? And you're going to be doing a lot of turning in your Bible. If you have a phone, you might uh, pull up a Bible app or something. But I'm going to have a lot of these verses on the screen. It's fine if you just want to follow along on the screen. However, I really uh, think a lot of times, for me at least, it's always better. I feel like I learn better if I'm looking it up in my Bible as, as we're going along. So do whatever you feel is, is appropriate for you. Um, question number one, who can read that for us? Just what it says in question one. Eternal life is something God wants you to be sure about. Eternal life is something God wants you to be sure about. Let's read 1 John 5, 13. According to this verse, what can I know for sure? What does it say? These things have I written unto you who believe the name of the Son of God, so that you may know. Let me see if this works today. No, it doesn't. Every week, I hope that the pens work, and they have not worked. Um, it says, hey, how are you? Welcome, Olivia. Good to see you. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He wrote these things, and this is telling us a purpose. Whenever you see so that in your Bible, it's a purpose statement. He's written this to you with the purpose that you might know you have eternal life. Not that you can guess. Not that you might have eternal life. You might, you know, sort of uh, hope you have eternal life, but that you can. Look at number two. In all other religions in the world, eternal life is based on something a person does in this life. We talked about this a little bit last week, so this is a little bit of a review. Can you think of some things people try to do to get to heaven? What are some things people try to do in order to achieve or earn heaven? Give me some examples. So have their good works outweigh the bad works? Is that what you said? So if they steal something, they have to give money and they have to be nice to somebody to outweigh that bad work. Or if they if they say a bad word, they have to do a nice thing, do a good deed for the day. And so almost offsetting. They think of life almost like a scale. Like, you know, you have bad things, you got to outweigh them by good things. That's true. Some people think that. We'll talk about whether that's biblical or not. What's some other things people try to do to get to heaven? Read the Bible, right? That's a very common one. Oh, I, re- I ask people, so how do you, you know? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Oh, I hope so. Well, how how would you 
No. Well, I, I tr- well, why do you think you only hope so? Well, I try to read my Bible. I try to, let's see how other people say, go to church. I try to go to church. I pray. Everyone says that. I pray. I give money to the poor. Anybody else have one? Those are some basics. Be baptized. Yeah, I was baptized. Okay. All focused on life here in this world. Things I've done. Things I've accomplished. Do penance. Do penance. All right. Sure. You know what penance is? It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it takes different forms, but it's basically payment for your sin. It's like, it's like feeling sorry for your sin, and, and sometimes people whip their back or they walk on their knees up a step, flight of stairs or something. Loving people. You know, I love people. That's what people say. Um, look at number three. Uh, I think this is where we got to last time. Although their rules might differ in all other religions, there is always something the person must do to gain eternal life. These good things people do are what the Bible calls works or works of righteousness. Let's read these verses, and we're going to see what God says about man's works. And if you do have, if you have a Bible, now's the time to turn. These are very important um, verses here. Who can read Ephesians two eight and nine? Yes, Hannah. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And pay attention to what it says about our works. For by grace are you saved through faith, and then out of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay. You are saved by grace. What's grace? Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Another way of saying, giving you something you don't deserve. Right? Mercy is withholding something you do deserve. Grace is giving you something you don't deserve. So, um... I just decided to give Sabrina a candy, you know, and I didn't decide to give you a candy. Was I being unfair? No, because neither one of you deserve the candy. I just decided to give it to her. But if I, if I gave it to everybody, you know, if I said if, if, we, or if everybody worked for the candy and I only gave it to Sabrina, then I'd be unfair, right? But see, God gives his salvation by grace. It's completely of his free. It's completely free. It's completely unmerited faith. We didn't do anything for that. It says, by grace, you have been saved how are we saved? Through what? Through faith, right? It's right there on the board. And that salvation is not of yourselves. It means it doesn't come from within, right? It is a gift of God, not as a result of works. There's our key idea. It's not a result of works. This is what makes biblical Christianity different from every religion in the whole world. Every religion in the world basically says, you do these things, you gain favor with God. You say these prayers, you gain favor with God. You get, you do these rituals, and God says good. You don't do these rituals, God says bad. What the Bible says is that you cannot, there is no way you could ever be righteous enough to gain favor with God. You cannot be saved through works. And it's a really simple reason why Remember what we said about the so that? What does that tell us? It tells us purpose. Why is this this way? What's the last phrase here? Why would God say, I don't want you to be saved because of your works? Or uh, as a result of your works. So that what? So no one can boast. Can you imagine? Okay, everyone here at Winthrop, let's just back up a little bit. Everyone here at Winthrop earned their way here, basically. I mean, you had to have certain grades. You had to graduate high school. You had to apply. You had to get in and all that kind of stuff. And you're here. So, every, so there's a certain amount of, hey, I made it. 
Okay, it's worse at places like Harvard. You know, everyone there is stuck up. They think, hey, I made it in Harvard. Or, hey, I made it in Yale. You know, I, I, they get all stuck up. Can you imagine if heaven was made up of people who earned it? Can you imagine how stuck up they would be? Hey, look how good I am. I made it all the way to heaven. Look at all the good stuff I did. I'm here. God approved of me. Do you see, like, the point is that if we take credit for something that's a gift, if we, if we are earning our way to heaven, that it actually works against the gift? So he says salvation is a gift. It's a gift of God. Uh, if you get a birthday gift, um, do you ever have to work for it? Like, Jermel's birthday's coming up, and I say, Jermel, here's a birthday gift. And he's like, oh, thanks, Pastor Marshall. I say, no problem. Just come by, cut my grass uh, tomorrow, pay for it. And he's like, no, wait a second. He's like, is this a gift? I'm like, yeah, but you need to cut my grass or else I'm going to take it back. Is it a gift anymore? No, salvation's a gift. You can't work for a gift. Gifts are things that are given. Um, I love this other verse too, Titus 3, 5. Who can read it? Somebody wasn't read it yet. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Okay, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. God saved us not because he looked down at us and said, oh, you're really good. Um, he wasn't picking a kickball team and he saw the most talented people and the best looking people and he said, that's what I want. He saved us not because of the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Here's the other, the other side of that. Mercy is, is not getting what we do deserve by the washing of regeneration renewing by the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is re- renewing us and washing us from sin. We'll get into more of what that means. We're not saved by works, but by his mercy. Um, so let's look at these truths here. We have uh, several to begin with. We know what God has told us about the way to heaven is not by any good thing we can do. So I've given you the bad news. But before we can understand God's way of salvation, we must understand and believe some other important truths he has told us in his word, the Bible. There are some truths here. Romans 3.23 tells us what? All people have? Sin. Romans 3.23 might know this verse. It says, all have sinned. I don't know if I have this up. Yes. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? All. You've sinned, I've sinned, he's sinned, she's sinned, everybody's sinned. Okay, we all have sinned. All people have sinned. Romans 3.23 tells us this. What is sin? What is it? The bad things we do to miss the mark. Does it say that? Yes. <laughs> sin means to miss the mark. Look at that. I have, um, there's actually more than one way of thinking about sin in the Bible. That's one of the words for sin. It means to miss the mark. It means there's a bullseye. You shoot your bow and arrow, and you miss the bullseye. Or not only that, you miss the whole target. Or you, like, don't even fire an arrow. <laughs> like, it's just a, it's a total miss. It's an air ball. Okay? The other, uh, the other idea for sin, there are actually two more ideas. One is an uh, idea of crossing a line. It's called trespass. The Bible calls it trespassing. Um, and it's just like our word today. We say no trespassing. That means I have private property, and you're not allowed to come on my property without my permission. To trespass means to cross over a line. And God says there's certain lines you don't cross. You know what we do as people? What do we do? We say, oh yeah? Watch this. We cross the line. What have we just done? We've sinned. 
Well, that's not missing the mark. That's, that's crossing the line. It's a different idea. It's the same basic principle. You're doing something God says don't do. But when we, when we sin, we miss the mark. That means that we, we don't make it. We, we try, but we miss. And this is more defiant. It's like, I'm, I see the line. I'm going to just step over the line. There's also a different, another word for sin that has the idea of impurity. Impurity. It means that there's something that's pure, but we mix in something that's wicked. And by doing that, sin. Not like we've crossed a line, or not like we've missed the mark, but we're impurity. Um, the classic example of this is, you know, you make uh, some brownies, and you just add a little bit of, I don't know, dog poop or something into the brownies. Would you want to eat that? No, of course not. It's been impure. You've mixed something totally disgusting. I love the, I love the look on people's faces whenever you say that, because they're totally not affected. But every time, it never fails. The, the pure disgust on all of your faces, on most of your faces. Some of you are like, interesting. <laughs> most of you are reasonable people, and you're thinking, ah, how could you think of such a thing? And what, that's the point, is that impurity is something that's pure, something that is desirable, but then you mix in something that's impure, something that's disgusting, something that is wicked, something that's wrong, and that's also uh, sin. So all of us, in one way or the other, have sinned against God. And most of us, many times, many days, do this. All right. So let's read James uh, 2, 10 to 11. Some people might say, I'm not a murderer, or I'm not as bad as my neighbor. What does God say about this argument? If you say, I'm not as bad as he is, I'm not as bad as she is. Annabelle, can you read that for us? Um, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. There's our word transgressor. Transgressor. Trespass, same thing. So, what's the problem with that idea? With saying, well, at least I'm not a murderer. Okay. Why? Why is it all the same in God's eyes? What's I mean, I could say, I could say, technically, it's not all the same. But the point is, is that I'm kind of splitting hairs here. But the point is, is that it's not about the rule. It's about who you're, who you're sinning against. You see that? He says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point has become guilty of all. <clears throat> For he, he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. So the point isn't that you, did, that you committed adultery, that you committed murder. It's that you, you disobeyed God. And God's the one who laid the rules. And so when you disobey, you're disobeying God. You're offending an almighty God. It's not just about the rule. Does that make sense? So if... Go ahead. What were you saying? I was going to say to him, sin, whether you're lying or murdering, it's sin. The consequences are different. Yeah. He doesn't say, well, that wasn't such a bad one. Well, I'll, I'll also, see, we, we tend to think, well, there's really bad sins, and then there's sins that aren't that bad. Well, I think God also says there are really bad sins, but the problem is, is that we shift everything based on the, well, you know, God judges really bad sins. He really didn't have to judge. No, no, he judges all the sins, especially the really bad ones. I mean, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not one of those people who says that every single sin is exactly the same. I think the Bible has a lot, of, a lot to say about that. But I do think that, that God says that every single sin is serious. Okay. He, he's not, when I say that, I'm not belittling anything. I'm saying we need to take things more seriously, if that makes sense. Because the point is, is that you're sinning against a person. You're sinning against, sinning against God, and that's offensive to him. And that, that's, that hurts him. Um, 
If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law because you have disobeyed God. Um, so what is truth number two? Truth number one is, um, oh, I just did that. Uh, all people have sinned. Truth number two is, the payment for sin is death. Why would you receive payment after doing a job? You receive the wages because it's what you deserve. In the same way God is telling us because we've sinned, we deserve punishment. The punishment is spiritual death, which is separation from God and hell forever. But you might be thinking God is love. He would never send anyone to hell, but the truth is God is perfect. He's a perfect judge, and a perfect judge cannot overlook sin. Sin must be paid for. So a guy gets caught stealing billions of dollars. Okay, let's scale it back. Millions of dollars. He's standing before the judge, and the judge says, well, you know what? Let's just say it's no big deal. The person he stole from is like, what? Wait, what? Are you serious? He's like, yeah, you know, he's not going to ever be able to pay back millions of dollars. I mean, what's the point? Who really cares? Um, is that a corrupt judge or a good judge? I would say a corrupt judge, but he's being really nice. That's how some people think about God. They have such a low view of sin. They think, well, God can't. Why would God ever punish sin? Well, because it's serious. Um, so what's the truth number three? Oh, wait, I guess we really need to stick on truth number two for a second. The wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. Um, this is really important because remember what we said earlier about good works? What, cannot, what can good works not do? They can't save you, right? By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself, but the gift of God, not of works. So if good works can't save you, the reason they can't save you is because they don't pay for anything. They don't pay for any sin. And you still have this enormous sin debt, and the payment for sin is death. So even if you do all these good works, you're still going to die. You haven't, you haven't solved this problem of death. In the very beginning, there wasn't death. But when men sinned, death was brought into the world. Right? So, um, this is, the uh, wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we'll get into the second part in a minute. But this is why it's such good news that Jesus died on the cross. Because if the payment for sin is death, what did Christ do? Christ died, right? And what's the payment for sin? Death. Christ died. So he paid for my sin by dying in my place. It's amazing. So if Christ died for me, what do I have to do to go to heaven? I can't. If he died for me, I don't have to die anymore. I, don't have to, I can't work my way. There's nothing for me to do to earn anything. It's a free gift. Okay. Um, then, so let's do this last thing. There is no way you could do anything good enough to save yourself. We talked about this in Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9. And uh, So salvation is, and there's a blank there, I, salvation is a gift of God. If you object, you say, but we just have said God cannot overlook sin. He could, how could he ever just give me the gift of salvation when I have not earned it? Okay, how can God just give you salvation? That, there, is a, there is a sense in which all of us want to earn our way to heaven. We do want to, to, do, we want to earn our way uh, forward, but, but God says that that's impossible. So truth number four is very powerful. That's this one. Oops, sorry. Although you deserve to die for your own sins, 
Jesus Christ, who is God Himself and never sinned, died for you. You see that? That's truth number four. Who can turn to 1 Corinthians 15 for me here? Let's try it. You got it, Laura? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. Good. Christ died for our sins. I know you see it all the time, like Jesus died for you. You see it on the side of a billboard or Christ, Jesus saves or whatever. But you have to stop and think about what the words mean. Don't just let familiarity, you know, confuse you or gloss over it. It's really important. Christ died for our sins. And it's according to the Scriptures. It's in fulfilling the Scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Uh, one more verse. Romans 5.8. You can read this. This is on the screen if you want to read it. Nice and loud. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love. This is the way that God demonstrates he loves you. And that while you were yet sinners... Uh, you were dead and you remember where sinners are going? To hell, be to spend eternity in hell as punishment for their sin and, and face death and, and because the wages of sin is death. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you and for me. That's just an amazing fact. He's the only person who could do that. I love the illustration that someone gave um, about, in fact it says here, Jesus Christ was your substitute. When Christ died for you, he demonstrated his, your blank there is a love for you. In other words, Jesus died instead of you. When he died on the cross, he took your place. He was punished instead of you. He paid the penalty that was required for your sins. So let's say that you're in the hospital. Let's say Annabelle here is in the hospital with cancer, and she's on her bed dying. All right, got the picture. And she's, she's standing there. She's sitting there hooked up to IVs, and she's having a hard time breathing. Cancer is just everywhere. And I walk in, and I sit next to her bed as her pastor, and I'm comforting her. But then there's this new technology I found out about. See, Annabelle and I are really close. I mean, we've known each other for a long time. And I, and I, I talked to the doctor. I said, look, you know, Annabelle's got a lot more to live for than I do. Here's the deal. What if you could take Annabelle, take all the cancer in her body with this new technology they came up with, just invented it, and you could take all that cancer out of her body and you could put it in mine. So he says, yeah, we can do that. But what happens now? All the, all the cancer is out of her body and now it's in my body who dies I do who lives she does and when Christ uh, took our sin and he died you recognize the Bible says he took our sin on his shoulders and we nailed it to the cross sin had to be paid for somehow and the wages of sin is death and Christ on that cross took the burden of sin from the entire world on his shoulders and crucified it to the cross. So it had no more power over you and over me. Wow. And he, and he did that and then he was buried in a tomb which sealed. They knew he was dead. It wasn't like he fainted. You know, was carried off, and then he woke up in a tomb a couple days later. He's like, where am I? And then busted out. That's not what happened. He actually died, and then in the tomb, 
he was resurrected. And what does that mean? That means that the death that he paid, the death that he experienced when he paid for sin could not hold him down. It did not have dominion over him. He burst free from the chains of death because he's God in the flesh and he has the power over death itself. And he rose from the dead and defeated death, defeated hell, which means we don't have to be enslaved to death. We don't have to be enslaved to sin. I mean, it's, it's a powerful, powerful message. It's unbelievable. And the amazing thing is, is that some people think they need to work for a salvation. It's already, all the work's been done for. In fact, that's the next thing here. Uh, the truth five is um, whoever believes in Jesus has everlasting life. It is the simplest, simplest thing even a child can understand it. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world... That means God loved the world in this way. That he sent his one and only son. That whosoever behaves. Whoa, whoa, that's not it. Whosoever goes to church three times a week. No way, that's not it either. Whosoever joins the... No. Who's... For God so loved the world, he loved the world in this way, that he sent his only begotten son, his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what it says. And the word believe means to trust. It means to to have eternal life. You need to place your trust, not in anything good. This is written here. Not in anything good you've done, but only in what Christ has already done for you. You must believe him when he tells you that it's already been paid for. Every sin you ever committed and will commit has been paid for. And when you don't trust in Christ, the Bible says your sins will come upon your own head. You are still under judgment. So, right at the end here, truth number six. When you receive Jesus by believing in him and accepting his free gift of salvation, you become a what? A child of God. What what an amazing fact. You become adopted into God's family. How many of you know somebody or you yourself are adopted? You know somebody adopted? Okay. Zeke, you're adopted. Man. That's cool, isn't it? Yeah, I'm adopted to my family and to God's family. That's even better. Because when you're adopted, that family accepts you and you receive all the rights and privileges of that family. Uh, I've been to several adoption ceremonies, and what the judge says every time he sits there with his gavel, he says, you do realize, sir, you didn't talk to the father, that when you adopt this child into your family, this child, he names the child, will become a child of your own, just as if he was born of your, you and your wife, just as if he was your natural-born biological child, including rights of property and wealth and inheritance. And every time the parents say, yes, we understand this, and even though that child was not biologically, if you did a DNA test, that child would not be biologically related to those parents in any way. But the law sees them and says, you are his son. You are his daughter. And that is amazing. And that's exactly what happens when we become a child of God. God looks at us. He says, you are a child of God. You're my child. You were a child of Satan, but now you're mine. I've redeemed you. I bought you back. That's what redeems me. It's just, it's just amazing. It is terrific. It's one of the best things. And it says here, salvation is the gift you can accept or reject. When you accept the gift, you become a child and live with him forever in heaven. So, number five, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'll go to heaven? You can know for sure if you, one, admit you're a sinner. You're just believing what God says. Two, you believe that Jesus died and rose again. Here's the key for you. 
not just historically fact that he did this, but that this is for me. And you receive this gift of salvation by trusting him as your Savior. Normally I just ask people, just pray and tell Jesus you love him and you, you ask him to, you know, to save you and you receive his gift. Tell him you want him to forgive you of your sins and you receive the gift of salvation that he's offering you for free. What a wonderful thing. And any of you can do this. If you're not saved, you can do this tonight. There's nothing holding you back. It's not like you have to go through any ritual. It's not like you have to be like baptized or anything tonight. <laughs> Baptism is something that happens later as an act of obedience. So the question is, is, you know, maybe you need to trust Jesus as your Savior. That is perfectly fine. I would love to meet with any of you who'd like to talk about that in private. That's completely fine. Um, or if you're, if you're a girl, my wife would love to talk to you. She's not here tonight, but she'd love to talk to you in private. Or there I can get somebody who would love to talk to you and show you how. One of the coolest things, and I'm going to close with this, is when Jesus died on the cross, his last word, uh, and I think it might be in here at some point. I think it's in the next lesson. Um, we're not going to go there yet. But one of his last words on the cross was, in one word in Greek, we're talking about something like six here, one word in Greek, but it's actually uh, three words in English, and it's the phrase, it is finished, or it is accomplished. You know what that, you know what, remember that story, Jesus on the cross, he yells out, it is finished, and he bows his head. That word in Greek is tetelestai, and it's a perfect tense. A perfect tense word in the Greek language means this. It means something that happens in the past that has continuing results into the present. Uh, that's what perfect tense means. So we don't really have anything quite like that in English. We have some shades of it, but not exactly. But um, that perfect tense is what Jesus says. And when he used that phrase, that's actually what people used to use when a debt was paid off. You guys ever had a debt, like a car debt, a car loan, or a mortgage or something? And when you're done with that debt, they write paid in full. Stamp it on there. It's done. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You can burn it. That's why we have mortgage burning ceremonies. People proud of paying off their mortgage. They take it. They burn their mortgage and they cheer. You know, because guess what? The mortgage doesn't have any more, any more authority over them anymore. It's it's done. It, it, it's, you can burn it. You couldn't do that before. When Jesus said it is finished, he said everything that has to be done for salvation is accomplished. You don't need to work anymore. You don't need to do anything. It's all been done. Done. Paid in full. The debt is paid. All they have to do is trust him. All right. Thank you guys so much for your good attention. We're not done yet. We're going to split off into our groups. Uh, Sabrina, you want to give us some instructions? Yes. So now we're going to be...